Welcome to the Stories Told podcast. This is episode thirty-two. The lightning missed the bottle. This is the Stories Told podcast. Two authors talking about stories in movies, TV, and of course, books. I'm Michael Grayford. I write action adventure stories in fantasy and sci-fi worlds. Sometimes for younger readers and sometimes for adults, and I try to always inject at least a little bit of humor. And I am author E. W. Barnes, and I write action adventure, time travel novels, and space opera science fiction. Thousands of years, thousands of worlds, but be forewarned: beyond here, there will be spoilers. Are you ready for the adventure? Let's begin. Hello and welcome back to the Stories Told podcast. I'm author E. W. Barnes, and with me, as always, is author Michael Grayford. And today we're talking about the story told in Avatar: The Way of Water. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing quite well, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm doing well as well. Well, 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 well. well, well. Yes. And what's new in your writing world? Uh, that's a good question. Writing world. Um, I've been mostly focusing on the ARC process, the ARC Advanced Review Copies, for my first Zara book. So I've got that out in the world. I have some signups on there from Facebook and through Story Origin. I put it up on Book Sirens as well, just trying that out in a few different places. So I got that going. I pretty much finalized the ebook formatting as part of that process and mostly the paper book formatting, I think. There's still a few things I need to tweak. I need to get the uh, ISBN and barcodes and things like that, finalize the text for the back of the book. I'm getting closer on that. I ran my blurb by my local writing critique group. So I got some good feedback there. So hopefully I can wrap that up in the next few days. And then I'll have that text finalized and I can finalize the cover and yeah, be ready to go. I can get a sample from Amazon once I've got that going. But that's it, just doing the arc, doing formatting, doing the final touches on things. Yeah, just focusing on, on getting the first Zara book done. There are so many steps to getting a book ready, aren't there? It's just astonishing. Uh, yeah, you, well, you saw my uh, checklist. <laughs> But the checklist also includes some things that I won't be doing this book. Like, you know, if you have sequels and things like that you're working on already. But even just, yeah, even just this one book, there's a lot. I'm hoping next time it will go much more quickly now that I kind of have a sense for things. But still, you know, there's just, yeah, a lot of stuff you have to, stuff you have to go through and a lot of double checking to make sure, you, you know, you did things right and you didn't mess anything up. The nice thing is, though, if you did mess something up, you can always go back and fix it. Yeah, that's a great thing, right? You can just re-upload a file to Amazon or wherever you posted the book. So that's the nice thing. I'm trying to get it right the first time, but I'm not overly stressing about it because of that. I think that's always the goal. Get it. Try to get it right the first time and recognize that as a human being, there are going to be errors and you go back and fix it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you wait, try to wait for perfect, you never move. Yeah, no, yeah. You always approach it, but it just takes longer and longer. So at some point you just say, okay, good enough, moving on. 
One of my favorite phrases is, perfect is the enemy of done. Yes, that's definitely true. What are, what are you working on? I am still just working on the same things, uh, working on Ecliptic, writing Ecliptic, and getting audiobook chapters uploaded to YouTube. The anthology, the short story anthology, which contains a short story called Free the Beasts, released this week and is available on Amazon. I'll put the link in the show notes if someone wants to check that out. It's got some amazing authors in it. I uh, uh, fangirled a little bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of Anne McCaffrey and her uh, Dragon Riders of Pern series. And her son, Todd, started to write some of the books with her towards the end of her life. I, I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, I didn't know that. So he is now an author in his own right. And he's got a story in this book. So I, I have a book in an anthology with Todd McCaffrey, who helped write the Dragon Riders of Pern series. So whee! that's great. <laughs> and have you encountered any great stories lately in books or movies or television? Let me think. I don't think anything's popping that into my head. I started watching Marvel's Secret Invasion show. Um, I'm only a couple episodes into it right now. I don't know. I don't know if I'd say it's great. It's it's different. It's like a spy thriller, I guess. Yes. Um, and feels doesn't feel too marvelly to me at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like the MCU. It's more like uh, I don't know. It's it's almost like it's a different thing. Yeah, it has Nick Fury and it has the scrolls. There's like elements right that are touched on it, but it's so different that it like it almost feels like its own thing. Um, it's not necessarily bad. Not super hooked on it yet. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. But other than that, no, I haven't really been reading or watching anything this week. What about you? Not really much of anything. Doing a lot of work on other things. Caught up on Ahsoka. And still reading little bits here and there of Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive. And that's pretty much it. So, All right. Are you ready to talk about Avatar, The Way of Water? Yes, let's do it. Let's begin. Today we're talking about the story told in Avatar, The Way of Water. And I am going to read the synopsis from the Avatar website, which is avatar.com. Avatar, The Way of Water launches the story of the Sully family and the trouble that follows them, the links they go to to keep each other safe, the battles they fight to stay alive, and the tragedies they endure, all against the breathtaking backdrop of Pandora, where audiences are introduced to new Navi cultures and a range of exotic sea creatures that populate the majestic oceans. So did you like this movie? This is an interesting movie because I, I things about it that I like, which are at a high level the same things I liked about the original Avatar, which is like the, I liked how the world building fed into the characters and the world was almost a character itself. Really enjoyed that. And just at a, at a high level, the sort of being in the world with these characters again, being in a different part of the world, seeing the this different ecosystem that existed on Pandora, all that stuff I really liked. I thought it was I thought it was really cool. And then, you know, I'm trying to stick to story-wise as opposed to 
visuals, which again I think are you know one of the standout factors uh, of these movies. But story wise, um, it's yeah, it's kind of similar to the first movie. Like if you look at it at a high level, the story is almost the same, right? Like from as the first one. That wasn't what necessarily grabs me about either of these Avatar movies. I think the first one, the, the story is laid out better and clearer and straightforward. It makes more sense. <laughs> the, but I like the going through the, the you know, exploring the world and the life of the people living on that planet. Uh, I think that was... That was really cool, and that's the main thing I like about this movie. I think it's, for me, it's about the experience of being there and being with them as they go through not only their daily life, but learning and the struggles they face. It's it's more like experiential rather than, this is a great plot, <laughs> you know, or this is amazing character development. It's a different kind of movie. So it's hard to look at it from a story perspective only. I think there's, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what else to say. I mean, I could go with little specific things. I think I think a lot of the interactions they have with the creatures is interesting. I think per are impactful. The story, like the plot elements, I think are not where this one in particular shines. So yeah, for me... I liked it as an overall uh, sort of feeling kind of movie. Um, and I, I saw it in the theater when it came out at first in 3D. And I think that adds to the depth, again, of the experience. When you're watching it, you know, on a TV and you don't have that effect, you're not as immersed into the world, you lose some of what the impact of these movies are, I think, which is that experiential feeling and well, we'll get to, you know, the effect of that when we talk about <laughs> the other side of this coin. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's where I go with it um, in terms of what I liked without getting into, you know, really, really tiny details. How about you? What did you think? I am so glad that you raised the, sort of location of the viewing experience as part of the entire equation here. I did not see it in a theater. I haven't didn't see it at all until I watched it for this podcast. And it wasn't because I didn't want to see it or had any problem with Avatar. I just didn't get around to it until it was available for streaming. And I also was aware that I needed to set aside, you know, three or four hours for it. So I just hadn't gotten to it yet. So I did watch it at home on the TV instead of in a theater where I could be immersed in the experience. And I think they have really impacted my enjoyment of this film. I found this film incredibly frustrating because it was the exact same story. It was, it felt like someone took the script and changed names of characters and then copied and pasted it as different locations in the film. And some of it, a lot of it, didn't even make sense to me. That it didn't comport with the characters as I understood them from the previous movie. And I also want to add that, you know, we just watched the original Avatar 
in preparation for last week's podcast. And so I had that movie very close in time in my mind and memory. And so then seeing almost exact same scenes play out, the best word I can think of is frustrating. It was just frustrating to me. This was not a new story. This was the same story, different special effects in a way. So um, I will say this. I loved the character of Kiri. And this was the character that is the in the Sully family or one of the daughters in the Sully family who is essentially an adopted daughter after Grace's avatar somehow became pregnant. And this was the child born of Grace's avatar. Uh, I really enjoyed her character because she was new. She was different. She has a mystery surrounding her. I, I, everything that had to do with her, I really enjoyed. Other than that, I was, like I said, frustrated. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, when I went, when I saw this in the theater and I came out, two things hit me most. First, well, first of all, I, again, I liked the experience. I liked being back in the world. I thought it was just beautiful. I loved a lot of the world building elements. I loved the idea of this interconnected ecosystem, like all that stuff I liked. And all that stuff was from the first movie as well. But one, the first thing that struck me is that movie was way longer than it needed to be. Number one. <laughs> and number two, it was the same story told in Waterworld. <laughs> those, are the, those are the first thing. I mean, obviously, you know, you look at details and things like that. And yeah, there's differences. And, but from a high level standpoint, it, it felt like the same story was being told again, which uh, was disappointing. Okay, well, let's talk about things that could be improved. I think for me, you know, sort of the movie stuff I'll just touch on really quick. It, there's just too much, too much going on, too much, okay, we're watching them swim. That's cool. Yeah, it's beautiful. But it, the movie did not need to be three hours, 15 minutes long or whatever it was. It was just too much time. And you just lose focus. It, it's, hard, it's hard to keep your focus for that long unless something is really, really engaging you. So, okay, that aside, specific things like writing things, I think I had struggles right off the start with a couple of the the things that they the choices that they made, Kiri being one of them, like, oh, she was born from Grace's avatar. What? Like where does that come from? What happened there? It's like we want this character, so let's just make up this story that had was never even alluded to in the first movie. Same thing with Spider. Like, oh, the bad guy had a kid? Where what when was that? I feel like those two things were just odd choices uh, that they tried to shoehorn in to give give us as the viewer emotional attachment to these characters right off the bat and to use them throughout the story, right? It's like, okay, Spider's there and he has a connection with the guy, so the guy's a little bit soft on him. You know, the military guy, I forget what his name is. And then at the end, he saves him. It's like, if that if that wasn't his son, obviously that would have never happened. But I don't know. I just thought those were weird choices to make. Like they, they just popped up out of nowhere. Like you said, given that we had just seen the first movie, there was no indication of either of these things happening. <laughs> the last time we saw Grace's avatar, she was lying in the forest, right? Yes, but I was actually more willing to accept that Grace's avatar might have been impregnated by Awa. That made more sense to me than somehow the, all the military people having avatars created for them. 
in the first movie, we're told that it's a very expensive process. And so they're very particular about who they choose. And we're so lucky that Jake is the twin of his brother. If they had the resources to create avatars for the military personnel, why didn't they use them in the first movie? That made less sense to me than Quaritch, you know, having a relationship with someone. Humans are humans. They have relationships. They produce children. That happens. Okay, I can I can accept that. And I was more willing to accept Kiri being the daughter of Awa as a possibility. That made more sense to me than we have all these avatars in reserve for these military guys in case they die. That made less sense to me. Yeah, given that the avatars, you know, originally were for research purposes, presumably a different branch of the operation going into this. Yeah, it seemed a conflict of kind of what they were going for from the original story. But yeah, I, I got the same thing with Kiri. I, I just assumed that it's like, okay, yeah, she's a product of Awa. Yeah. You know, this child is like going to be some kind of important character moving forward in the story, be more connected to the world even than, you know, the Navi that are there. Um, yeah, but I, I I liked her character. You're right. I, I thought a lot of the things that they were doing were interesting with her. I like she was connecting to them, but there was also this maybe glitch in her system where she has seizures, <laughs> right? And it's like, does, does she have epilepsy or is it something else that's going on? I felt like the epileptic comment was sort of the the easy solution looking at it from a human standpoint, but there was probably more going on there. I thought that was interesting. And obviously, well, I would hope that it's a setup for things to come in future movies as well. But they did seem kind of like out of the blue, both those characters to me. Uh, let's see. I think uh, when Spider was lost, I would have expected the family, certainly the kids, to express more concern for him, given that he was basically a part of their family, constantly with them. He got captured, and they just moved on with their lives. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're gone. And then there was one line later where it's like, are you thinking about Spider? And it was like, that was it. Uh, so I thought they could have had uh, a little more emotion there from at least the children, Kiri, if no one else, earlier than they did. I, I felt the whole thing of them leaving was kind of dumb. It was made. No, oh, we're gonna sense. we're gonna leave to protect the people. Like, why is that gonna stop the military from coming there? They're gonna do exactly what we saw them do. They're gonna go there. They're gonna kill people to get information about where you're at. Number one. Number two. Do leave, and they come after you. They're gonna hurt the people where you are, which they did. <laughs> and also, the other thing is, once they left. Once Sully left, right, took his family away, presumably the attacks on the humans stopped. So why would they even care about chasing him down at that point if, hey, problem solved. We're not being attacked anymore. If they were being attacked, then why aren't they going after the people who are attacking him instead of the guy who moved away? <laughs> it's like, it didn't make sense to me. It was an obvious writing excuse to get the characters into a new location. And as you have pointed out in previous podcasts, when we talk about stories, this was a plot-driven story, not a character-driven story. These, these behaviors that the characters did were to further the plot, as opposed to being things that these characters would do because of who they yeah, are. Yeah, you're right. It pulled, it pulled the characters 
out of their environment because that's what the plot wanted. Right. Yeah. And I felt that was not handled deftly. I agree. There needed to be. I actually started crafting a new story in my head. Okay. Just to make it work. <laughs> what did you get? What do you got? I would have had the opening much shorter. We didn't need the voiceover and the introduction to the kids. We could have gotten that through action as opposed to telling, yeah. showing instead of telling. Absolutely. And I think the same thing could have been with the uh, re-arrival of the Sky People. That could have been that could have been part of the voiceover. Saying the Sky People came back and we were and we're still fighting. What could have happened then is that Jake and his Ometakaya clan could have defeated the Sky People who came back to continue mining and then had the Ocean Clan, the Reef People clan, call them for help when the whale hunters came. And then that could, that could have been the reason they left. Okay, we've got the reef people are calling for help to Torak Mokto. We're going to go help them. And then they could have taken the whole family to go. And, and then you could have had almost the same story. Except it could have been battling the whale hunters instead of the miners. That's true. You, it, it wouldn't have required much tweaking to have some of, you know, the same events unfold once they were there, having the conflict between the kids and all that could still have happened yeah kids you know kids are kids yep <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna do their teenage thing yeah i think that would have worked this version of jake is so different than the last version of jake and yeah being a parent does tend to make you second guess your decisions in order to for the safety of your kids and you can't protect everything and you can't just leap into the line of fire because you have to be aware of the ones that you're supposed to be taking care of but it also doesn't turn you into complete, doesn't change your personality entirely. You know, you know, he was a strong person who jumped in and did what needed to be done. And then all of a sudden he was just like, oh, we got, I got to run now. We got to run now. We got to hide now. We got to beg now. The, the one who was actually most fun to watch was Natiri. The last scene where she's fighting all the guys, she was Devil woman. Yeah. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I'm like, this is this is what Jake should be doing, and he's not. I think if by having him win against the sky people who came back to do the mining and then get asked for help, that would have maintained that consistent character of the strong, action-oriented person that he is in the original movie. Yeah, I agree. That makes complete sense. And you're right. I like seeing the battle at the Eminatiri. I thought she was fantastic. And then at the same time, I thought Big Sully's battle with, I never remember the military guy's name. Korich. Yeah, Korich. It was weak. And that whole, that whole end sequence was overdone and just too long. It's like, you know, the climactic moment, I'm like, okay, I'm just bored. I'm ready for this to be over with. Like, finish this guy off, and then he didn't even finish him. Yeah. I don't know. It was kind of disappointing, given everything that they'd gone through. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that was too much. I thought a lot of this movie was just overdone. Like, the beginning was overdone, the middle was overdone, and the end was overdone. I think, like, the, the climax wasn't necessarily bad. It had some very good elements to it. I loved when the the whale creature, the tacoon or whatever it is, you know, jumps out of the water and smashes. I thought that was great. I think his name is Piakin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. I love that. 
and you know getting getting back at the whale hunter i thought that was good very moby dick <laughs> exactly yes very moby dick that's true then there's a huge glitch in the storytelling at the end where in the you know the climactic sequence right where they're going there to fight him whole water tribe just completely disappeared at the end of that battle they rode up there with him <laughs> they start fighting and then they're just gone <laughs> you never see them again until they return home and piakin disappeared too until the end that was a, that was weird yeah <laughs> you just forgot about this no one no one in editing said hey what happened to these people it's not like we saw them right off if they said hey you know got our children back this fight's on you now good luck if they'd done something yeah uh, yeah i don't know what happened there it's like they just forgot about them <laughs> it was weird and there's a couple a couple moments like that there was the girl who liked uh I forget what sully's kid's name was lowak is his kid lock she she was there for a bit can you tell i watched with the closed captions on so i can keep track uh, that's i should have done that she was there and then he went off to help and then they all come back and then she's not there in that scene where like the whole family's there. And like a scene later, like she's standing there again. So there were some weird continuity problems like that. The bigger writing issue is just that the, the water tribe just vanished. It was a weird, weird choice. I know they wanted to focus on Sully and his family. I also felt like, felt kind of repetitive at the end. It's like, Oh, the kids are captured. Okay, we freed them. Oh, the kids are captured again. Okay, we're going to go get them. Oh, they're damaged. Okay, wait, we got to go back again because now they're trapped. I just thought the whole thing was overdone. It's like it just it could have had a lot more focus, been a lot tighter, and yeah. had more impact, I believe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm very mixed in this movie. Over, There's a lot of things I really liked about it. I think it was sort of, like you said, and we both said, it was a kind of a repeat story in a lot of ways. I'm... Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm cautious going into the 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 next. I think there's two more movies. There's four, maybe five. I don't remember. I know at some point he said that maybe it's the next movie that they're not going to be following Jake Sully's family as much. Um, so that might be interesting if we get to branch out and see some other characters. Sounds like he's kind of doing approach i think i don't know if the next one or one of the after is going to be like fire area and of like lava people or something i don't know what's going on but i i hope in addition to being a new locale that we get more of a story we get something else happening in the world because it felt like there was the unobtainium in the first one right that was kind of driving these people and then with the whale hunters here it was the whale juice as sort of this is the most valuable thing on the planet. We got to kill these whales, right? And I guess at this point they want to move from Earth to the planet, which is interesting. Like that's that's different than what we had in the first one. So they kind of set that up, but we didn't really. It's mentioned, but it's not really part of the plot. So maybe that'll be something in the next story, more of a colonization effort and having to either repel them or learn to live with them or something. I, like I said, I think the, th- the things that I enjoyed are the things that I enjoyed from the first one at a high level, primarily the world building and the character interactions uh, with the world. Uh, but there's a lot, a lot more that I think could be improved in this movie than in the first one. And as a writer, what do you take away 
from Avatar, The Way of Water? I think, yeah, I think there's, to me, there's two things. The first thing is the same thing I took away from the first one, which is what I've already mentioned, how the world building and the setting contribute to the characters in the plot and can become a significant character in the story. I think that's still a great takeaway. I think that's still a large part of why this movie was as successful as it was. And then I also take away on the opposite side, or sort of the more negative side, is writing a sequel. You want to be true to the original, but you don't want to remake the original. (laughs) You want to rewrite the same story. So I think that's a, a good thing to keep in mind when doing sequels is, yeah, you want to have the flavor of the original, Um, But, you know, at the same time, second highest grossing movie of all time. So (laughs) what do I know? How about you? What do do you take away from this? When I was watching this and thinking about my takeaway, a phrase kept coming to mind, which was lightning in a bottle. When all elements come together to create a phenomenon, like we talked about last time, Avatar was a phenomenon. And it was essentially lightning in a bottle. It was a, a, a coming together of good, the good solid storytelling that we talked about and the amazing special effects and the immersive quality of the film, which just made it so special. And the sense I came away from with Way of Water was that this was another attempt to capture lightning in a bottle and the lightning missed. Now, what is my takeaway as an author? I think it echoes what you said about to be true to the world and to be true to the character and the world building and those things that you crafted initially and but not reproduce and recreate the exact same story. But it also leads me to another thought, which is not really so writer-based per se, but I think it does reflect on storytelling as a whole and our entertainment as a whole. And I'm going to go ahead and think out loud, and I may not like it when I get to the end of it, so I reserve the right to retract everything. But I see, and I'm not the only one, I'm sure, I see a kind of movement towards, and you've referenced this before, sort of this experiential entertainment, where this movie, as you pointed out, might have best been watched only in a theater, and maybe is not really best to watch on television because you need the immersive quality of it to really bring out its very best elements. And this is where it gets a little wacky for me. I see stuff like what like Disneyland tries to do with the really immersive Star Wars stuff that they started crafting, some of their rides where you're essentially in a space with a whole bunch of stormtroopers who are telling you what to do and you have to get out and walk and then you have to escape. And and it's much more interactive entertainment than previously where you're just sitting back in a chair and riding along watching. And this movie kind of feels like it's part of that same push where there has to be certain things in place in order to fully enjoy this form of entertainment e.g. being in the movie theater, watching it in three dimension or IMAX or whatever. And it may be that that's the only place that this kind of entertainment can be done. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I I think that's part of the reason why this movie was as successful as it was. um, Because it was still, you know, relatively early after the pandemic. Yes. 
still like people getting back to going into the movies. And this was a theater movie. This was an experience that you watch and you just kind of fall into as you're immersed in the world and in these people's lives. Yeah, and I think, you know, the sound design was wonderful. The visuals were wonderful. Seeing it on the big screen, seeing it in 3D adds to that immersion, right? It's like you feel like you're there. After a while, you forget that you're in 3D, and it's just like you're in that world. And I think that was a large part of its impact. Seeing it again at home, you know, it's it's it was a different experience. The first one I still enjoyed. I think the the world building and everything was still there, and the first one was really good. The character development was very good. But I think the, the first one, the story was just tighter, and it, it wasn't building off of anything. So it didn't have to remain true to what already existed, whereas this one did. And like you said, I think some of the, well, Jake Sully in particular, I think his character kind of shifted. And then when you're watching on your TV where the story isn't as tight and you've got some exposition and voiceover and things like that and long swimming scenes and even long action scenes where everything's kind of stretched out, it's not as compelling. <laughs> so I think you're right. I think I think yeah, that sort of theater experience, that experiential aspect of it is important. I'm very curious to see what where, where the next one goes and if he can deliver something that uh is as powerful. I hope. I mean, we know he has the ability to do amazing work. The visuals are fantastic, sounds fantastic. All that's all the production value is fantastic, but hopefully we get something a little bit different story-wise. Thank you for joining us as we talked about the story told in Avatar, The Way of Water. A big thank you to our Patreon supporters. We're so grateful for your support and encouragement. The Stories Told podcast is available on multiple podcast platforms, and we thank you for liking and subscribing or following, depending on where you're listening. It may not be a big deal to you, but it means a lot to us. You can find Michael Grayford at michaelgrayford.com and E.W. Barnes at a thousandyears.com, and those links are in the show notes. Join us next time as we jump into the Wayback Machine and discuss the story told in the 1985 movie Enemy Mine. Thank you, Mike. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. I'm looking forward to next week. And we'll see you next time on the Stories Told Podcast.